You're listening to the Digital Forensics Files podcast with your host, Tyler Hatch from DFI Forensics. Hello and welcome to the Digital Forensics Files podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Hatch from DFI Forensics. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Kimberly St. Pierre, a very experienced cybersecurity professional from the local Vancouver scene. Kimberly, how are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm great. Thanks, Tyler. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, so in preparation for this, I'm obviously looking at your credentials and you have a long list of, of them and uh, your professional roles. You have about five of them going on. You got a lot, a lot of stuff happening. <laughs> What's your main one? Yeah. So the main one, the one that actually pays my bills, <laughs> is Palo Alto Networks. I'm right. a named account manager with the team here in BC, and there are four of us. So I'm one of them, and I work with uh, primarily the health sector, um, oh, a few municipalities, and then some private sector organizations as right. well. Okay. And you're also involved with the government, I, I see, the government yeah. of BC? So that is, um, it's basically a group of professionals that uh, Gary Perkins has curated and put together. Really, it's individuals that are in the private sector mm -hmm. that um, provide some insight and perspective into really what we're seeing in the cyber community from the private sector that they may or may not see from the public side. So right. um, that, I wouldn't say, takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, it's more of the professional network itself that right. um, I believe brings the value to that group. Yeah, that sounds really valuable. What a, what a great thing to bring together the government um, perspective with the private sector so we can blend those and, and move things forward in terms of the law and regulations and stuff like that. That's really cool. Now, where you and I met was actually last year at BC Aware. Yes. You probably forget I was just a nobody back then. Well, I'm a nobody now, but anyway, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I remember um, yeah, it was a pleasure. I think I jumped you coming out of the bathroom. I'm like, hey, we've met on LinkedIn. It's nice to meet you in person. But yeah, you're obviously uh, you're 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 the chair of BC Aware. I was the chair for three years, and oh, okay. I've so um, I moved. We had our AGM for ISACA in June of this year. Mm -hmm. So I moved from the chair role into the vice president of ISACA role right, right now. So I handed that role off to Katie Shitonitska uh, with KPMG. Oh, nice. Um, and I was involved right at the beginning when she was taking over. But um, mm -hmm. not only is she very competent and capable, but she's got a phenomenal team. Um, nice. Ed Pereira, as you may know, mm -hmm. Justin Malchewski. So they're yeah. on that team as well. And they've got a really good crew of solid volunteers that help. Yeah. So um, I've not been needed, which they reach out to me when they need to, but um, they've done a fabulous job and I'm super stoked for BC Aware 2020. Mm -hmm. So am I. Yeah, we've got Brian Krebs coming. Yeah. You know what? I was actually, yeah, that's so exciting. When when Justin told me that recently, I was really excited for that. And, but I had to go out of town for a training conference that um, just got rescheduled. So now I can oh, attend. Perfect. So I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's going to be great. Um, so take us back to the beginning. Your, your kind of beginning into this field and, and how long have you been in the field? I believe I've been in it now... Um, almost four years. Mm -hmm. So when I first got into security, I was an account manager at TELUS and right. I was basically the, we kind of called it like the quarterback. Basically mm -hmm. you own the relationship with a client. And then when there were opportunities to address their um, problems or challenges with specific technologies, you'd bring in a specialty team. So whether that was like security, contact center, mobility, what have you. So I had a little bit of insight into what the security world looked like because right. I worked with those specialty team members. And I was looking for a change in my role at TELUS. So I didn't know if that was going to be outside the company or inside the company and was looking at a couple different options. Mm -hmm. And the security realm 
became interesting to me because I had a little bit of insight to it. But then also, when you think of um, cybersecurity ranked still by the World Economic Forum as like the, I think it's the fifth top risk in the world behind mm -hmm. natural disaster, war. So And climbing, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. you think of, okay, so what are... Um, what's going on in the world that you can have an impact to help with or that it's going to be like a potentially long-term career mm -hmm. sustainable opportunity that had a bit of insight or I gave, that was a little bit of my insight into the industry. And then um, we were hosting an event at the TELUS garden at the time we had Ralph Goodale, our federal safety minister um, presenting. Yeah. And he was talking about this massive talent shortage globally in cybersecurity. And I thought, Oh, Hey, that, mm -hmm. you know, job security, <laughs> kind of interesting. Right, for sure. So that was my first sort of, yeah, I should really look at this. And um, shortly thereafter, there was a role that came up as a cybersecurity practice lead in TELUS. And at first I was trying to help the hiring manager. It was Con Nickel at the time. I was trying to help him find people for that role that I might've known. And then two weeks after thinking about it, I'm like, wait a minute. maybe I can do that. I can, or I, <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe I could try that. And mm -hmm. I thought, um, so I ended up getting the job. Good for you. Thank you. And when I first moved into the security, I was a little bit naive. I thought I knew about 25% of what I would have needed to, to be successful in the role. Mm -hmm. I knew about five. <laughs> I just skimmed the surface. So right. that was my uh, toe into the water for cybersecurity. And mm -hmm. then I was really fortunate. So Justin, that I've mentioned earlier, um, great friend, great mentor. I've worked yes. with him for years at Bell at TELUS. And mm -hmm. when I sat down with him for coffee, he said, hey, like if you're getting into this cybersecurity world, you might want to check out ISACA. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I need a chair for BC Aware. So I didn't know what ISACA was. I didn't know what BC Aware was. I'd never been to it. I think it was the third year at that mm -hmm. point that it was going on. And um, I had had experience in the past volunteering, producing large-scale events. There was an event at the Southlands Riding Club that I um, produced, which is called the Pacific Polo Cup, which still mm -hmm. goes on. And um, I thought, sure, I'll, I'll give this a go. So yeah. that was how I got into it. And I have to say the best advice I received was to get into ISACA and learn who the local cybersecurity community, cyber right. community was. And the part that was most eye-opening for me is how vast our profession is, forensics, mm -hmm. whether it's technology. A lot of components. Audit, compliance, governance, all yeah. of those components. Yeah, that was really yeah. surprising for me. So, mm -hmm. But it's really cool, right? I like I that too. It. Yeah. And I, I uh, some of my friends call me a geek or a nerd, and <laughs> I'm okay with that. I like I've to called myself out. a geek and a nerd. Yeah, I totally, I'm, I embrace I embrace it. Yeah, it's <laughs> really cool. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I got started. Awesome. So what is it do you think about this field and security in general that's so intoxicating for people? Because a lot of people kind of get interested in it for career longevity and, and they see a need for it. But once you're in, you're, you're, you get really hooked. And I, I sense that was your experience as well. When you say you, yeah. you only knew about 5% of your role, you know a hell of a lot more than that now. So obviously you really dove into it from a personal interest level. Mm -hmm. So I think what um, is appealing is it's incredibly dynamic. It's mm -hmm. changing all the time. Um, there's also sort of this morbid curiosity of what drives hackers. Of why yeah. are they so evil and why are they going <laughs> after what they're doing? Yeah. Um, so that component, I think, was the, the biggest piece of interest for me. Mm -hmm. But the 
my favorite is you help people and you see the immediate results where if you're talking to a client or a business partner and they're saying, hey, you know this, right? You're in forensics. Then they say that, hey, we've just had something go on. We don't know what it is. We don't know how to address it. What are your thoughts or do you have you know, partners or professional services teams or technology that can actually help us deal with this. So that's mm-hmm. the part I love is that helping people. So do I. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. And I, that's that's what I love about everybody that's kind of involved in that. We all take that mentality and it's really neat to, to see how we all play our role and, and bring each other in when there's a need for that specialty. It's a really great community. I, I love it so much. Um, so what did you do to get up to speed in terms of that, knowing that 5% and then to where you are now, um, yeah. was that formal training or just experience in the field, reading some books, both yeah. or all of that. So yeah. I was really fortunate to my manager at the time at TELUS, Con Nicola, as I'd mentioned earlier, phenomenal individual. He gave me a, sort of a, like a, a guide of you should learn the following and mm-hmm. you should go talk to these people to learn this. I'd never seen that at TELUS before. Um, it, especially in cybersecurity, you need to have some degree of um, focus or direction. Mm-hmm. So I became a student, and I literally went to every single person on that list, and mm-hmm. I learned about not only what they did, but their products and why that would matter to a customer and how did they get into right. the role and really dove into it deep that way. Um, the other thing was vendor training. So when I was in my role at TELUS, I would sell things like Peloton Network, Cisco, mm-hmm. Checkpoint, what have you. They have fantastic training programs right. that um, I didn't, obviously I'm not an engineer, I'm a salesperson, so mm-hmm. you, we do the sales training. And the more time you spend with those individuals and the more you understand about what the products and the solutions are and how that's relevant to a customer, mm-hmm. it just sort of opens up different areas for you to start to think, okay, well, you touched on that, but what does that mean? How does that tie together and where's that link? Yeah. Um, tons of Googling. I know that sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but tons of Googling, tons of YouTube videos. It does not sound ridiculous. There, there's information out there. That's how we find it. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it's yeah. different. Our world is very different with the information literally at your fingertips in a right. split second. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yours is an example. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so that's, and I think also um, through Asaka, of course, is mm-hmm. really a lot of education opportunities there. And then customers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your customers are your biggest teachers because you get to understand why they're challenged or why they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, I've i dabbled in some sales roles, technically sales roles. I'm terrible at sales in a classical sense and just selling people stuff and, and closing. I hate that kind of mentality and that model. That's not really fair to say that's what you do. I mean, sales nowadays is more, that may be the role, what it's called, but it's really an advisory role. And, and when you look at it, from the interest of the client in getting solving their problems is really what we're doing. And just because you offer a solution that they may need, I don't think that suggests that you're selling them a product that they may not need. Like, so um, do, you, do you feel comfortable referring to yourself in a sales role? I do. Yeah. And it's funny. When I was 21, I was looking at getting into an inside sales role in the company I was working with. Mm-hmm. And my boyfriend's dad at the time said, oh, you don't want to be, do- you don't uh-huh. be doing that. Like, absolutely not. It's like a used car salesman. Right. So that sort of stuck in the back of my mind of right. I never wanted to be that type of salesperson. Mm-hmm. So I um, I could care less what my title is. I am a salesperson. I'm proud of that profession. I've always found that building long-term business relationships are my mm-hmm. um, 
forte and my preference. Not all salespeople are built the same or wired the same. Right. And the clients that I work with, my ultimate goal is to really get to know their business and their challenges and yeah. be able to recommend solutions or products or partners mm-hmm. um, that might be able to help them. And sometimes they're calling me because they need a referral to a specific company or a type of solution that has nothing to do with me. So right. you do then become an advisor. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is built around that trust. And in order to build that trust, showing that level of authenticity and vulnerability, I think yeah. is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I can see you being really strong in that too, because you you really give people a good sense of trust and and uh, yeah, it's very authentic when it comes from you. So thank you. So that's wonderful. So um, I I noticed that you're also you're involved in She Leads Tech Vancouver. So I I assume that's a from what I know of it, it's an initiative to get more women involved in this field in general. Mm-hmm. What what drove you into that exactly? Was so She Leads Tech is part of ISACA Vancouver. So right. kind of like BC Aware is part of ISACA Vancouver. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's a bit unfair to say. She Leads Tech is part of ISACA Global. Okay. So it's an actual initiative that um, was driven by ISACA globally. And our team here in Vancouver, the She Leads Tech team, was really created and um built by Karen Sandu, who's over at Absolute Software now. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, brilliant lady, and had the ability to pull a lot of really cool people onto her team, not just women, but men as well. Right. And the She Leads Tech group is, uh, so they do lots of events. So they'll do networking events, educational events, and again, it's not just open to women, it's right. open to everyone. But it's really about elevating and giving exposure to women and highlighting their skill sets, building that network, it's sometimes, not even sometimes, literally to this day, every event that I go to, I was just at um, two holiday parties last evening with partners, mm-hmm. like 10% women. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the tech field. We know that. It's like, what's the global average, like 11% or something that are yeah. in tech? Right. So it's a great opportunity to meet in other individuals in your industry, but also um, empower the individuals that are there, create um, connections and opportunities and find them mentors or coaches and yeah. really give them a sense of belonging and that right. there are really cool things happening. Yeah. The other thing with Shady Tech is doing, they're now doing more work. The team is in um, like K to 12 and mm-hmm. they're actually doing a really cool thing with the girl guides. And I think the reason that's so important is that as a little girl, you can't be what you can't see. So yes. if you don't know that that's a thing or what the cybersecurity world might mm-hmm. be about, why would you ever consider it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, very important message, I love that because, yeah, I see a lot of, I think the numbers are probably growing in terms of women entering the field, I hope so. Like when I look at um, the local schools, I see a lot of female students involved, I see a lot of interest. I know one of the people that follows my company on Instagram is a, a little US elementary school or a high school, it's called the Cyber Sorority Club. It's a bunch of girls that are interested in the field at that age. I think That's it's fantastic. really cool, yeah. Um, so I, I hope I hope that the message is getting out there that, that women are not only welcome, but they have a lot to contribute. I think it's a really important thing that you guys are doing, so. I hope so too. Yeah, I wish you all the best in that. And you're a good <laughs> shining you. example of what, what can happen. Did you personally experience any resistance about it? It doesn't seem like you were treated unfairly or, or not given an opportunity to showcase your talent? Yeah, I don't think so, but I've always worked in a very male-dominated industry. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Ever since I was 19 years old, right. I started off in transportation. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> very male-dominated. So, yeah, for sure. Um, to me, I didn't know any world different from that. So I, d- I don't feel that 
I had a disadvantage, but I'm also um, one of those people that if you say to me, you can't do it, well, watch. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Can you give me an example of something like that in your personal life where you were presented with a challenge and and you just slayed it anyway? (laughs) Sure. So I grew up on a farm in Alberta, uh, rode horses. I started riding when I was four years old. Um, We sold our farm, sold the horses, moved into Edmonton. Okay. I was in... um, uh, Edmonton until I was 24 I moved out here uh, never did I think I'd have an opportunity to get back into my passion of horses mm-hmm. so I had a friend who had a bunch of race horses and at the end of the season he said hey um, I've got a few that aren't coming back do you want a, a free horse if anyone what? ever offers you a free horse run first oh, of all no. <laughs> I was um, gonna say take it. it the cost of the horse is irrelevant it's the ongoing right upkeep and maintenance that's quite expensive but yeah, um, so the challenge that was presented to me as I was uh in my 30s I'm literally taking on this horse that is it's a huge horse first mm-hmm. of all off the track fresh off the track thoroughbred very high strung particular horse right. and people thought I was absolutely nuts even when I was trying to find a coach or a trainer to work with me there was mm-hmm. very few people that were going to offer up their help because right. I hadn't had my own horse in years I didn't know how to ride English I rode western growing up and um, this horse was rank <laughs> he's adorable and I love him but right. he still has a bit of a, a spirited side so okay. the challenge that I was faced with was I didn't know how to do any of this. I didn't right. know where to turn. And um, a few people were saying, like, why in the world did you ever do that? Like, yeah. you know, when are you going to get over that phase type of thing? So I stuck it out. I completely changed my lifestyle. I made a lot of sacrifices. And I worked with him for the first three or four years almost every single day. Wow. And worked with a trainer who is fabulous. And she's been my coach and my guidance counselor with him ever since Mm -hmm. and now he is a brilliantly trained horse and we compete in jumping we compete in dressage Um, we'll do cross country we'll ride out to the trails to UBC it's a phenomenal experience that could have gone wildly sideways and I was determined to make it work no matter what good for you that's amazing that's a really cool example of what you're talking about and from an animal lover i'm more obsessed with dogs but i find horses absolutely majestic i i love them i love riding i've i've been on my family has farms in manitoba so um yeah i i'm i can totally get it um (laughs) but how do you manage that being kind of in vancouver here like where's where do you keep the horse i I assume it's in the suburbs somewhere not hanging out in yale town yeah he's not (laughs) well and it's funny too when i got him i was living in yale town Mm -hmm. and um i i knew there were stables in richmond langley north shore delta Uh, so i looked at a bunch of them and i just thought to myself at the end of a work day, I couldn't imagine driving in rush hour out to Langley to yeah. go ride. Like, um, wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. So um, I board him in Southlands in Vancouver, which is this fabulous community along the river. It's nestled between Point Grey Golf Course and McCleary Golf Course, and it's very peaceful, and most mm. people don't know it exists. It's this little farmland that um, is amazing. And it's yeah. I'm now moved to Shaughnessy, so it's literally 12 minutes from my house so fantastic it's, it's that's really cool yeah it's so important in this career too to have a hobby and something that you're interested in as a way to kind of decompress after a stressful day and a long day and just you know kind of check out and enjoy your life too you it's you're right you it's know. an outlet and it's when you think of um you think of outlets whether you're um like playing tennis or mm. basketball or golf or whatever um some of those outlets you can still be mentally at work Right. This particular outlet with riding horses, 
if you are not mentally 100% in the game and engaged, mm-hmm. you're in danger. Yeah, So true, yeah. your instincts just flip that when I get to the barn and you smell that barn smell that a lot of people think stinks, but I love it. I love it too. <laughs> I think it's great. So as soon as I get there, it's like my aromatherapy and yeah. just everything shuts off. <laughs> yeah, they should build bath bombs in that sense. It would be wonderful. <laughs> okay, so I, um, for Christmas, bought a few of my friends. Um, they are horse scent candles really they literally smell like a barn oh wow where do you get those <laughs> i bought them at the christmas market um, really yeah down by um like by the olympic cauldron Ooh, i gotta check that out yeah i might have to get permission first to bring that <laughs> home because i think i'm only 50 percent in the relationship side that likes that uh, my <laughs> wife might not be too crazy about it but yeah that sounds appealing to me that's really great um yeah i've really uh i've really enjoyed it uh kimberly talking to you and getting to know you more and your credentials and keep doing what you're doing because you're doing an amazing job and you're Thank you're literally you. one of the leaders around here and it's awesome that you um invite people in and, and share you just put somebody in contact with me that was curious about our profession and i think it's really neat so thank you so a wonderful job and doing what you're doing likewise thanks for having me it's brilliant to see what you're doing and every time you have a new podcast that comes out i get quite excited to go uh, oh go that's listen. really good i appreciate that so much thanks it's a big compliment have a great day thanks you too